1: Hello and welcome to Scrambled. I'm Chad Douglas, and I'm Nikki Shields. This is episode 38: Therapy versus Medication. First of all, Happy New Year, Nikki. Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you very much. 2023. Here we go off to a, a great start. Um, 38th episode. I do want to point out that in the lower 48 states, we are in. We have been downloaded in 45 states.
0: Well, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, Alaska and Hawaii don't count. They should. Like, if you know okay. somebody in Alaska or Hawaii, like. Zip them, attacks, and be like, "Hey, download this cool podcast." Um, Wyoming, Oklahoma, and West Virginia—we need some love. Yeah. Okay. I have a good friend who has someone who has family in Wyoming. She, I texted her, and she sent me one back. She's like, "Wyoming's taken care of," but it's not showing up on my analytics that it's been downloaded. Ah. And so, you know, if it's not on the thing, you can't really trust it. I suppose. <laughs> I
0: I suppose, but I think that's pretty cool. In a year's time, we've covered most of the United States.
1: Yeah, absolutely, that's and. Great. It, and uh, also across across the pond, as they say, but I mean, there's like in Australia, there's some, and there's some in Asia and Europe and Africa. It's It blows my mind that people can listen to this anywhere on this planet.
0: Yes. Technology is so cool. We can access anything.
1: It's also um, good to know or sad to know, I guess, that, that, that anxiety and, and childhood mental illness is all across the globe, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think about that a lot because I, you know, our experience is not necessarily the same thing as somebody on the other side of the globe. And yet it, it, this is such a universal thing. Mm -hmm. People struggle like that is maybe the most common thing is that there will always be human struggle. And so i I do hope people everywhere can relate and are finding things that are helpful to them.
1: I absolutely do too. So let's get into the episode here, therapy versus medication. So um, where do, where do we start with this? Do you, do you have a plan? (laughs)
0: I have a plan. (laughs) I almost always have a plan sometimes. Okay. Almost. Um, Yeah. But so first thing I'm going to do to to start this episode is argue with our title because- Uh, it's really, it's not a either or kind of thing. In most cases, uh, it's either a combination of the two Mm -hmm. or start with one and then try the other or go back and forth. It's just, it's very rarely, uh, you know, which, which is the best medicine or therapy And, and research has shown consistently that people who suffer from depression, anxiety, and a variety of other conditions benefit better from a combination of medication and therapy than either of those two treatments alone.
1: I'm glad you cleared that up. And so early in the episode, that's it for us uh, on our next episode, (laughs) because I think there's still a stigma, even though that stigma is lifting on getting professional help to go to a counselor or a therapist. So some people will turn to their primary care physician and get the medicine. Then you've got people on the other side of things that go, I don't want to medicate my child. We're going to try therapy. So there's not really a hard line. I mean, there is gray area all over Mm -hmm. this
0: absolutely and it, and it really comes down to personal choice and i've met many many people who are adamantly opposed to medication and just about the same number who are opposed to therapy and really you just have to find the thing that, that helps you and then if you know if that's not working try other things that's that's the key but truly that you know the best treatment for a lot of conditions is a combination of those two things and working with your healthcare providers to find the right
1: mix well, that's where we start. And we've said that before in many episodes, start with your primary care physician. They will either know which road to go down or some of them are, are perfectly comfortable prescribing medication that will help antidepressants or anxiety, OCD kind of things. And some of them aren't. They'll they'll be like, mm-hmm. let me transfer you on and I recommend you go see someone else or they'll know some counselors that are good and specialize in, mm-hmm. in childhood anxiety, such as yourself. That's right.
0: So in, in a lot of times the, the question that I get the most when it comes to this is like, when do you know it's time? Like, when should you consider medication? Mm-hmm. And the the most baseline answer I can give you for that is if your symptoms are interfering with your ability to function, like if you're an adult, you're missing work, you're not able to go out of the house, you're not able to take care of your children. Um, you know, if you're a child, you're not being successful in school or you're not even able, able to function in school. You're not, you know, developing social skills appropriately. You're just kind of missing out on all those childhood experiences experiences. Those are that's kind of the the thing. If if you can't do those things well, it's a really good time to consider it, to ask some questions to find out what your options are. So there are other things to consider when trying to make that decision, but that's really the big one is if your symptoms are interfering with your ability to function, it's a good idea to start asking questions and see if if medication might be helpful.
1: Okay. I know if you're new to this podcast, because you and I are both fans of other podcasts. And so if I hear of a a commercial of one or something, I'll go download the latest episode to see if I want to subscribe to it. There's a slew of other episodes that I've missed. So if I'm really into it, then I can go back and start at episode one. So let me say, if you're joining us now on episode 38, it might be, actually, it is a very good idea to go back and listen to episode one, because episode one through six really kind of breaks down how the brain works, what anxiety is, the differences. And episode four, it was The Family Matters. That's where we talked to the Beeler family. And I had done a TV interview with the Beeler family, and that's kind of how you and I met. You were my expert in that. And one thing I know that Tara, the mom, said to me, she's like, the only thing we regret about putting our son on medication was that we didn't do it sooner. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that could be the case of, of some people going, I don't want to medicate my child. I don't want them to zombie out, but if, if it's going to help them and I, you know, speak to my own personal thing, um, with my son, it's like, he wasn't able to focus in therapy Mm -hmm. until we got medication because we would go to therapy and, you know, it would work and we'd get tools and stuff. But once we started medication, therapy changed big time because Mm -hmm. he was able to focus because we were able yes. to calm down his head, and again, if you haven't listened to episode one, the reason it's called scrambled is because he told me after a panic attack his brain felt all scrambled, and that was kind of the thing. It's like once he was, you know, we we unscrambled those eggs, I guess, which mm-hmm. is kind of a weird oxymoron type thing. Um, <laughs> he was able to focus both in school and even in therapy. So it is, mm-hmm. it's just a good combination. You got to figure out what works for you.
0: That's right. And I always tell people that medication isn't designed to to be a fix-all. It really isn't. It, the hope would be that it would open a window or a door or something, a path, um, so that some of the things that maybe aren't able to happen on their own can start to happen. So by that, I mean, if you're struggling to sleep, like maybe your sleep has been poor for a really long time. We all know that when we're not getting enough sleep, we're just not well, right? Physically, yeah. emotionally, all kinds of things get out of whack when you're not sleeping. So if you're not sleeping, therapy might not be able to do what it's intended to do. Other self-care activities might just not click because you're not sleeping well. And so a a medication that helps with that could very well help, you know, therapy and other activities to be a little bit more effective for you. And so, um, and I'm thinking more like with kids, you know, just like the example you gave, if you've got a child whose ADHD symptoms um, or anxiety symptoms or depression symptoms are just so intense that they can't even open up and talk to someone about it, it, that they can't, you know, get out of bed and practice some new skills, they're not going to get very far with therapy. They need something that's going to kind of boost their energy, boost their confidence, make them feel just good enough to be able to move forward and try those new things. And so that's why I think, you know, the research is just so consistent that that the two together are the best because one kind of opens the door and makes the other more possible. So, and there are a few other things to consider, like not only if, if your symptoms are getting in the way, but if you've tried other things and they're not working. So if you've tried therapy, you're engaging in appropriate self-care, you're getting adequate nutrition, quality sleep, you're exercising regularly, and still, it's not working. You're still experiencing symptoms. It's a good time to talk to your doctor about medication. Um, the other thing would be if your doctor recommends it, if you're talking to your doc, your counselor, other other professional healthcare provider, and they're saying, you know, I think you might think about this. This is something to consider. Then it'd be a really good idea to consider that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other There are a couple other little things to think about. Um, if your symptoms are long-lasting, And they just continue to get worse over time. It's a really good idea to consider medication. I mean, this kind of opens up a a can of worms and hopefully we can do it justice. But a lot of times there's that like, is depression or anxiety, is it a chemical imbalance? Is it caused by something in your brain? Is it, is it behavior? Is it your environment? What's going on? And, And the truth is, it's a lot of different things. And so if all of the environmental things you're doing aren't working or all the behavioral things you're doing aren't working, it's a good idea to try medication to see if that can kind of help with the, the more biological or, or chemical side of things. Um, and then the the last factor that comes to mind for me when it comes to um, actually two things. So <laughs> bear with me here. Two more things to, to like situations where you would maybe want to consider meds would be if the symptoms are side effects of other medications or medical conditions that are unlikely to, to go away or get better, then medication might help. So let me, let me be more clear. If you have a chronic health condition and you're taking a medication for that, that you have to take to tra- treat that medical condition and it's creating depression symptoms or anxiety symptoms, then it's a really good idea to try medication to offset the depression and anxiety that are a side effect of that medication. So that's a very unique situation, but I met many, many people in that boat that the medication is there to kind of counterbalance the side effects. And then the last thing, if you're facing a a super stressful life event, a trauma, uh, something kind of chronic, something that's not likely to, to go away anytime soon, sometimes medication can be a helpful tool to get you through that very difficult time.
1: I know one question, even as a parent that I've had, is once you start a child on medication, will they be on that medicine? For the rest of their life?
0: So, I mean, I think that's that's another one of those questions where I, you know, sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes no. So it, it depends on all those many factors that are contributing and creating the symptoms. The vast majority of the time, no. If you put a trial on medication, you don't have to think of that as something they're going to need forever. They're going to need it until they either develop the skills to, to, you know, compensate for what the medication is doing, or until they get through this phase in their life where things are so challenging or until they find another treatment that works better. But I, I would discourage anyone from looking at medication as a lifelong thing, unless Mm. uh, it's something where, you know, you've been working on this for a long time and your doctor, psychiatrist, you know, the professionals that you're working with are saying, you should probably just consider this something, you know, then, then. And maybe because there certainly are mental health conditions that don't tend to get better over time and medication helps you to maintain, you know, a better level of functioning in those cases. Yes. But in general, if somebody's taken an antidepressant, a medication for anxiety, there's no reason to believe that that's something you're going to have to do forever.
1: Okay. How much research should parents do on this? You know, you talk about Googling things and Dr. Google that can give you the worst case scenario. Is that a good idea or, or do you need to kind of know what you're getting into before you talk to your doctor?
0: I think in this case, you got to kind of know yourself a little bit. Like me as a parent, I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking up the potential side effects of a medication. If I'm considering a medication for my child's mental health condition, I'm going to trust the doctor to, to guide me through that. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Dr. Google because I know what that will do to my own anxiety level. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't want to have more anxiety while I'm trying to treat my child's anxiety. You know what I mean? So, uh, I think if you know that, that that's likely to, to make you more anxious, then stay away from it. Trust your doctor, ask lots of questions. If you don't feel like you're getting answers or you're someone who you just feel better, if you know everything you can know about something, then by all means, you know, do a little research, do some digging, but make sure the research you're doing is quality you know, ask the right people. Don't ask Mm -hmm. people that don't know anything about it. Don't read articles that are clearly slanted or, you know, designed to like advertise for another product. You you have to be careful where you get your information. And we, I know we've talked about that several times before, Um, but it is a good idea to do research unless you think that's going to actually make it more difficult for you, in which case then trust your medical professionals.
1: What about asking other parents if their child's on a certain medication, because everyone's chemically made up differently. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just because X, Y, and Z work for this kiddo doesn't mean it's going to work for your kid.
0: Yeah. And I think that's such a good point. Like you can talk to other parents and we've encouraged that many, many times before on this podcast, because I know that, you know, knowing that you aren't alone and that other people have similar struggles can be helpful, especially for parents. Um, But be careful not to like take your friends, kids' experiences as medical advice, right? Yeah. Just because this work doesn't mean it's going to work for your child. And I've seen, you know, medications that can do wonderful things in one family and create havoc in another family. And so you have to be careful with that. But it but it doesn't hurt to, to hear about other people's experiences. And certainly if you're a parent who's afraid of medication or worried about negative impacts, talking to families who have had good success with it, can be helpful and it can help you to feel more confident about choosing that path. I did think of one other thing, Chad, I don't want to forget to mention. Sure. Um, If you, or your child are experiencing safety issues related to your mental health. So Mm -hmm. maybe suicidal ideation, self-harm, things have kind of gotten to that point where, where people are worried about the safety of the person in question. Um, That's a really good time to start looking at is, is there maybe some medication that could help? Because that's a, that's a pretty scary place to be, um, you know, regardless of your age. And so if safety issues are a concern, medication is something to consider.
1: Okay. Let's talk about side effects a little bit because they all have it and legally they have to because maybe one person had that side effect, but they have to list it. I know with a lot of antidepressants, I shouldn't say a lot because I don't know a lot, but I know some will have suicidal thoughts are a side effect of an antidepressant. And that just seems like kind of an odd pairing.
0: Yeah. And it's something that's just always bothered me. Uh, I, I truly believe that it's it's just the, the kind of the nature of, of science is we we get like one outcome, but there's lots of unintended outcomes that come along with that. And sometimes those aren't so pleasant. So, you know, if you, ha- certainly if you're taking a, a new medication and you had never had suicidal ideation, now all of a sudden you're having that, you need to report that to your doctor right away. That's, that's an immediate, like let someone know, because that's not a normal response and not something that you should take lightly. Um, if it's your child and they've never said those kinds of things, and now all of a sudden they're telling you that you need to let the doctor know it is not super common, but it's common enough that it's something we talk about. It's something that we kind of warn people. Um, and it's, I don't, I can't explain, I don't have enough knowledge of how, um, those medications affect the brain to understand why that happens. Uh, but it, it certainly does. And um it, it can be alarming. And and as a parent, I know that's that's a frightening thought to me is that I would give them something that would actually make them feel worse. Um and that right. that is a little bit scary. But it's not it most of the time, well, I would say all the time when a doctor prescribes a medication, their belief is that the benefit is going to outweigh the risk. They wouldn't prescribe it if they assume that those side effects are going to take place. And so, you know, e- anytime I get a medication from the doctor, whether it's an antibiotic or an allergy pill or whatever it is, and I'm, and I'm reading it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm not going to take this. I'm going to grow a third arm and like, yeah, bleed it not die. This is terrible. But th- the reality is that those are so rare and so unlikely. And the doctor really believes that you're going to benefit from the medication enough to offset that, that little bit of risk. And so that's a good thing to keep in mind. But if you're really scared of it and you're not sure, and, and you're seeing anything that's even a little bit alarming, talk to your doctor.
1: And some of the side effects to these drugs too can be weight gain, weight mm-hmm. loss, headaches. So again, you kind of kind of weigh the, the benefits versus the negatives of, you know, mm-hmm. am I going to have to live with a headache every day mm-hmm. because of this? Maybe I'd yeah. rather not have the headache and be anxious.
0: Yeah. And, and that's where you kind of have to look at your tolerance, your child's tolerance for these side effects. I, mean, I can assure you, if somebody prescribes me medication that, that causes nausea, uh, whatever it is they're treating is fine. I will just deal with that. <laughs> I would rather not, you know, so you have to kind of know your own tolerance. I, I know my, my family has a history of just being super sensitive to the side effects of medications. And so we're all usually pretty resistant, like, nope, nope, don't want to do it. Don't want to do it. But um, the majority of people take these things and it's absolutely fine. But you know, it's it's good to know. But that's not the thing that you should focus on first. Um, okay. If you start to see side effects and you're you're not tolerating it well, or they don't go away in a couple of weeks, then talk with your doctor because it's not uncommon, especially with depression and anxiety meds, to have headaches and nausea, um, stomach upset, things like that in the first few weeks. Most of the time, those will go away, and so you know it's worth it to kind of tough through it. Uh, but you know, you'll know your own limits with that. You really have to just talk with your doctor.
1: So you mentioned the first few weeks, how long does it take before these drugs kind of fully get into your system and when you're going to notice some actual change or whether or not it's going to work?
0: So that's, that's a question that's hard to answer, you know, in general terms, because all drugs are a little bit different. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, Lots of different antidepressants take four to six weeks to truly like build up in your system enough to do their job. And even then, you know, that's at the point where you're like, oh, I'm starting to feel a little better, but I'm not where I want to be. And so a lot of times after six weeks or so, you'll start to see, you know, medication doses increased a little bit or even decreased if the side effects are still bothering you. Uh, But it, it really depends because there's newer meds out there that work much more quickly than that. And so and I think in relation to side effects, that's something to be aware of is that as, you know, the science continues to evolve and, and get better and better at like targeting symptoms we're also getting better, I can't say we, I have no ownership in this, <laughs> <laughs> scientists, people who work with this, um, are figuring out how to eliminate those side effects. They're they're fine-tuning mm. the effectiveness of the drug and reducing the overall risk of side effects, which is really cool. And you know, I, I just think it's gotten, in the 20 years I've been in the field, it's really, really neat to see the kinds of meds that are out there now that people can take with very little risk at all and start okay. to feel ver- better very quickly.
1: Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the dangers of changing drugs. So, if you are prescribed a medication and it takes four to six weeks to get into your system, and then you realize it's not working, either you're not feeling better or you, something else has popped up that shows you it's not working, then you kind of have to stair step it back off and then try something new for four to six weeks. So, this seems like it's going to be kind of a long process.
0: So, yes, two things in response to that one is it is sometimes a very long drawn out process to find the right med. And so um, it's important that you kind of go into it with a sense of like, Hey, it's not going to be a quick fix. I know everybody wants that. Like right? we want, if we're going to take a pill, Uh we think, Hey, it's going to fix it right away. But very few meds work that quickly, like for anything, physical, emotional, it doesn't matter. Medication takes time too. Right. So plan on it taking a little bit of time. But the most important thing to remember is that if you are changing, if you try to med and it's not working or the side effects are lingering or it's just not doing what you want and you're going to be changing to another one or increasing your dose or reducing your dose, pay very, very close attention to your doctor's instructions on how to do that. There are some drugs for depression and anxiety that if you stop them suddenly they can make you very sick and they can Mm. cause you to have even worse symptoms than you were having before you were on the medication emotionally and sometimes physically. So it's the just super, super important. Even if you're, you know, a couple of weeks in and you're like, "Ah, I don't want to take it anymore. I don't like it. Or maybe you feel better because it's starting to work and you think, well, I don't need this medication anymore. Regardless of the reason that you want to stop it, talk to your doctor because the the risks of just stopping it suddenly um, can be harmful emotionally and physically. So that's, but, but do plan on, you know, having some patience and with kids that can be really, really tricky. It's hard to watch your child suffer. And if you put them on something and things don't get better right away, and then you have to try something else like that, that can be a real process. And that's where I think it is a good idea to talk to other parents about their experience so that you can, you know, kind of know, okay, this is normal. This happens. This isn't just us struggling with this. That's a, that's an important time to talk with others.
1: Any advice to give to parents who, if they're going through this, it's a long drawn out process and you know no one wants to see their child hurt or in pain, but switching those medications, coming off of some of them can be so severe. Like, What can parents do in the meantime to help?
0: So I think if you notice, if you're following the doctor's instructions for changing the med or switching it up or reducing or increasing, whatever it is, and you notice that your child is struggling, one is, you know, maybe, you know, reach out to the doctor and let them know, hey, this is what we're seeing. This is what we're worried about. Should we be worried about this? But the other thing is just know that it is a, a phase. It is very likely if the doctor has told you, nope, that's normal, that happens, you know, that's to be expected, then you just want to create kind of a safe environment, make sure that it's fairly low stress, because essentially what's happening is your child or your brain, whoever's doing the medication change, the brain is, is sort of adapting to this, this chemical change, and it can cause all kinds of stress strange things and it can make people feel very, very uncomfortable and just you know disoriented or distressed or upset or agitated. And so just creating a space or an environment where they can just be safe and calm and get kind of ride the storm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, keep them away from dangerous things and and keep them away from stressful situations until like that that difficult phase has passed. And it's it's kind of hard, I think, to to describe or wrap your brain around what that's like unless you've been through it or unless you unless you've worked with children who have been through it. Um, but it's really just a about creating a space and and keep keeping everybody involved, calm and realizing that it will not last forever. This is a temporary adjustment to the med and we'll all get back to normal soon.
1: Can you give us any kind of estimate of of how many different medications it'll take before you get something worked out? Like, is there any kind of average, like, oh, it's yes. going to take one or two, five?
0: I really don't know. I mean, that's that's a tricky one. I, in my experience, most families go through a you know, between two to four different types before they get it right, and that can be over a period of months or years, and sometimes weeks. If you're if you're trying to find a med that helps with with true ADHD symptoms, that doesn't mm-hmm. usually take quite as long, because that's a drug that's kind of like in and out of your system much more quickly. So if you know, you know, a weekend it's not really helping. Okay, this is probably not the right setup for this kiddo. Um, but if but if it's a med for anxiety or depression, it can take you know a month and a half, two months before you know, and then if you. Do you have to make a change. That's another month and a half, two months. And so I would say, you know, expect it to be, um, I I think just safe, like a six month window, if you're really wow. going to take it seriously and try it. Um, it. Sometimes you'll luck out and it'll be much faster and you'll land on the right one the first time. Um, but if you go into it with kind of this idea of this is going to take time. And this one may not be the one and that's okay. And and actually, you know, like it's not that different with other things. If people are put on medication for blood pressure or cholesterol mm. or those other types of conditions, uh, it's the first med you take sometimes just isn't the right one. And it takes a while to get, get it right. And so it's just important to be patient and, you know, assume that just like therapy, it takes work and it takes time and it's nothing's going to be an overnight fix.
1: So the way my brain works, and I'm hoping you alleviate some stress here <laughs> is that <laughs> doctor prescribes a medicine letter a like this is going to be the 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 top of the chain it doesn't work so now we're going to go to b medicine well now we're on to c potentially d and e like i'm thinking okay now we're getting lesser and lesser quality drugs or something like that
0: i, I- Say it's not really a quality thing. They're not going from like these are the best drugs in our arsenal down to like this is th- th- the worst stuff we have to offer. No, it's usually different <laughs> classes of drugs, and so okay. uh, especially in the the realm of, of antidepressant medications, there's there's several different types, and so within that type, there'll be three or four different you know w- different like brands or you know names or you know
1: is like medications. Ri and m a m o m a o i. Yes,
0: all of those, and I My I'm gonna
1: Val Pat. <laughs>
0: Exactly. It's those. Um, I, And I'm not going to list them all because I don't have them broken down in front of me and I don't want to miss, misspeak and say the wrong thing, but I can say that there's several different classes of drugs. And within those classes, there's different types. And so they're typically, they're going to try one from this class. And if that doesn't work, then they're going to go to this class. And if that one has some problems, then they're going to go to this class. The other thing is when you've got a physician who's fairly experienced with this, they kind of know like, hey, you know, you didn't handle this one really well. So I think you're probably going to do better with something from this group. Um, And so they're really good at kind of recognizing they're also, and I I can't uh, speak about this with a lot of knowledge or experience, but I'm, I'm reading articles and seeing things about genetic testing that will let your doctor know what you are likely to benefit from and what you are likely not to benefit from when it comes to psychotropic meds. And so um, I, I don't remember what that testing is called, but, you know, ask your phys- if you're not sure and you've tried lots of different things and you just are tired of experimenting, ask, do they do genetic testing for psych meds? And if so, you know, you may be able to get a list of what you're likely to do well with.
1: We've actually looked. Into that, Nikki, and it's called Genomind. And man, you can buy it on Amazon. What? So you can have it shipped right here. I would say talk to your doctor first um, <laughs> <laughs> before you go uh, to the online shopping mall. But this is very intriguing to me because, you know, I like science and everything. And I know someone who's done this to their child and they've figured out certain drugs that will work and not. And they even found out that if they are ever in need of any kind of pain management, that they need a smaller dose of a certain pain med than a normal dose. So it's like you find out all this stuff, but I don't know if this might be hard for you to answer, but across the medical field, like, is this something doctors support?
0: So, I I mean, I've seen mixed reviews. Some are like, hey, I love new science. Let's continue, you know, let's dig in, let's find out, let's experiment. And others are like, nope, we're only going to do what works, and I and I think it just it depends on the professional and also the population that they're treating. And in my experience, a pediatric psychiatrists are a little bit like, no, let's you know let's do what we know and make sure everybody mm-hmm. stays safe and not not push the boundaries too much. Um, with older adults, or, not older adults, but with adults who maybe have tried more things and are you know responsible and are making the choice themselves, they might be more willing to look at what what science is doing and some of the newer developments. But I would just say that, you know, it's it's not unusual to have a physician be like, "Mm, I don't know that much about that. And so I'm not going to recommend it. Um, and that's okay. Cause that that's how I've always been when it comes to new therapeutic approaches. If I don't know anything about it, I can't recommend it. I'm not, you know, I'm not willing to do that professionally. So um, if it's something you're interested in, do your reading, ask your professionals, your medical people, and, you know, see what you can find out. But it's, it's interesting to see. And I, you know, I think another 20 years from now, it's going to be amazing what comes out of the research and the different, you know, testing that's going on now, the genetic testing and things like that.
1: Yeah. And again, this is all new science, but in in my head, I'm thinking, why wouldn't I do this? Because if I know certain medications are going to work better with my biology, why would I not start there instead of going through six months of trials and tribulations Mm -hmm. with medicine?
0: Yep. Yep. And that's where, you know, you have to kind of look at risk and benefits if it's a simple, you know, like a saliva swab or a blood mm-hmm. test or whatever it is that they do to test that really is not very invasive doesn't hurt anything if it doesn't cost a lot of money, and you get some helpful advice from it or, or like starting points from great, you know, not a lot of risk in that. But if it's if it's you know, recommending like more experimental drugs or things that you, you know, that's, that's obviously a bigger problem. So
1: Right. Right. So yeah, Santa did not bring the mind, uh genetic testing to, to my house. So uh, we might, I don't know. Better luck I, next I'm, year. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I wasn't very yeah. good this year. <laughs> Nikki, is there any time someone should absolutely avoid medication?
0: Oh yes. Yes, there is. So if you've just started a medication for another condition, you should not start a medication for an emotional disorder or mental health condition because you won't know what medication is causing what, you know, outcome. And so, um, if you've just gotten on something for chronic pain or, um, any other, I I could list all kinds of medical conditions. Just, if you've just started something else, hold off, give your body time to adjust to that, figure out what it does and does not do. And then if you're going to add any psychiatric medications, do that later on, because then you can differentiate, um, In fact, in general, again, work with your doctor on this, but like, I would not want to start a sleeping medication and an anxiety medication and a depression medication all at the same time, because you won't know which of those is doing what you won't know, like if you're having side effects, which one's causing it, which one's benefiting you. And so it's just nice to kind of one at a time and kind of ease yourself in.
1: Yeah, that's good advice.
0: So another situation where you might want to avoid medication um, as a, as a first, you know, action would be if your behavior or um, symptoms, the concern are only happening in one setting. So like if your child is having anxiety, but it's really only ever happening at school or they're acting out and it's only happening in one place and not in others. um, That to me, you know, of course it's my therapist brain, but that would suggest that there's a problem in that setting and you Mm -hmm. should try to address that before you start to medicate the person. Um, And so if, if the problem is not widespread, I would not go to medication, at least not initially. Mm -hmm. If your symptoms are related to a specific situation, it's wise to try to first address that situation rather than medicate yourself. If it's a situation, you can change. So like if your entire emotional difficulty is revolving around your job or a difficult relationship in your life, medication isn't really the the first line of defense if you have the ability to shift or change some of the circumstances that are causing the problem. You could try medication if it's something you can't change, right? If, if mm-hmm, the circumstance mm-hmm. is just unlikely to change, then okay. But if you have the ability, try to, uh, addressing the problem first. And then uh, it, it's a general rule of thumb, and this one does come up quite a bit, is don't start medication immediately following a major stressor or a change. I, I often hear, you know, people who like, just lost someone important, they just lost their job, they're, you know, they're going through major financial hurdle, um, they witnessed something really scary, and they're like, I want some medication. And, you know, again, Talk to your doctor, find out what they think. But it's a really good idea to let your brain and body sort of do what it's supposed to do. If you remember, (laughs) because I've only said it like 900 times, we're supposed to feel bad when bad things happen. We're supposed to have grief, we're supposed to have anxiety in certain situations. And so we don't want to medicate those reactions away. But it may come to, you know, where you're not functioning, and then it might be a good idea to, to address it. But if, if something has just happened that's really catastrophic in your life, let your brain and body do what it's supposed to do. Don't jump immediately on a medication.
1: Let it process it. Uh, anything else to expect when deciding whether medication or, or therapy is the right thing for you?
0: Yes. So I, I always encourage people to realize that medication is not supposed to eliminate your feelings, right? You're supposed to still feel stuff, right? Right. Being able to cry is a good thing. Being able to experience a wide range of emotions is natural and healthy. Being numb is not the goal, right? So if you're taking a medication and you're like, nope, nope, I was still sad yesterday when this thing, well, good, it should be. Like we still want you to have emotions. We just want you to be able to function within those emotional experiences. And so um, keeping in mind that it's not designed to make all the feelings go away.
1: Here's a whole nother uh, episode idea. How do you cry? Because sometimes I feel like, I could just use a good cry and flush it all out, but I can't.
0: (laughs) Okay. So that, I mean, that's a big thing. A lot of people who are taking uh, antidepressant medications of any kind report that they just have trouble crying. And that's, that's a fairly common response. It isn't necessarily a sign that the medication dose is too high. It just means it's like super working. But for some people, that's okay because maybe tearfulness was one of the reasons they got on the medication to begin with. But if it bothers you, you should let your doctor know, right? You should, you should communicate with someone about that and say like, listen, I haven't been able to cry in three months. And, and that's kind of strange for me. It might just mean you need a little bit of an adjustment down so that you can experience that range of emotion. So, and, but that's, it's like a tricky thing to talk about because a lot of people are like, well, great. I don't feel like crying. That's wonderful. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. But if you have that sort of feeling of like I need to, and I can't, that might be something to ask your doc about.
1: Interesting. I don't think I've had a good cry in like 30 years.
0: (laughs) And if you're not a crier by nature, like that's not a problem. Yeah. But, but there are people that have talked about like, oh, I was on this medicine and you know, somebody really important to me died and I couldn't cry. And I was like, that is not normal. What is wrong with me? And so what they realized is that the medication was just sort of, you know, like really kind of keeping that emotion in a tight range. And so, you know, they had it adjusted and then they felt their feelings and it was okay. So you just have to kind of know what's normal for you.
1: I will tear up at the drop of a hat, but to have a good hearty, like cry, not going to (laughs) happen.
0: Nobody's got time for that. Nobody's got time for
1: that. One (laughs) other thing that I wanted to ask was any, this whole episode has been advice to parents, right? But if you've got a parent listening to this going, I just don't know, I'm on the fence of what to do. What can you tell them?
0: I think it kind of depends on the age of your kid, because if you're talking about a teenager, you know, ask them what they think. You know, if if you're thinking about medication, somebody has mentioned it to you, my guess is your child has considered it because a lot of their friends are taking medication. And so it's okay to kind of ask, you know, what do you think would help you? Have you thought of different ways that that you could feel better? So if you're just not sure, keep talking about it. Um, You know, and I always kind of fall back on on the idea of if you don't know what decision to make don't make a decision right hmm. if it, just just continue to get information until you have a solid plan and and so you know i think most of us have those sort of um we'll call it red flags like When this happens, this is my cutoff. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if my child is self-harming or my child is missing multiple days of school and not engaging in, you know, social activities that are standard for them, those would be times that I would kind of have to put my own reluctance aside and say, "Okay, we're going to go talk to the doctor and see what our options are, because that's the other thing, too. I think that that would be the other thing I would tell parents who are kind of just not sure where to begin is talking to your doctor doesn't mean you're committing to anything. It's just getting more information. So you can make an appointment, you can go in, you can ask a million questions, you can still walk out of there without a prescription and that's okay. And sometimes they'll write a prescription and say, you know what? I can tell you're on the fence. Don't pick it up. Just, it'll be there. If you decide you want to try it, it's there. And then you can try it. But if you don't want to, don't do it, you know? Um, but the, the doctor can also kind of put your fears, um, kind of at bay by explaining how the medication works and what the, particular risks and benefits are and sometimes that that helps you make up your mind so if you're not sure then keep thinking keep talking ask lots of questions
1: what happens if you're on this medication for a while and you skip a dose by accident okay. you forget so it so
0: that happens often regardless of whether it's a vitamin or an allergy pill or a sleeping pill or whatever you're taking a pill for uh we we miss doses and so you, it kind of depends on the specific med that you're taking sometimes you're you know the the little brochure thingy that comes with your meds will tell you what you should do if you miss a dose and or and sometimes (laughs) you throw those away and you have no idea what they say right is Uh,
1: that uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) well it, it i would say that you you need to kind of find out the type that you're taking, because maybe it is just as well to just take your next dose and not worry about it. But there might be somewhere it doesn't hurt if you take it six hours later than you normally would. So, I mean, you need to, that's a good question to ask your doctor when you get the prescription. It's like, what do I do if I miss a dose? And as far as missing doses, oh my gosh, that has been one of the biggest, you know, therapeutic hurdles for folks. Uh, They're, they're like, I'm taking meds and I'm good. And we're coming to therapy and we're doing the things. And then, you know, but they miss their, their medications six days in a row, you know, it's not going to do any good at that point, right? So there's lots of different behavioral strategies you can do to help remind yourself, like set a timer on your phone. That's probably the best uh, thing that you can do. Put it put it where you know you're going to see it every day. Make it visual, you know? So, but that that's a big struggle. But I would say that, that you need to find out from your particular medication what you should do if you miss a dose and actually that made me think of one more thing chad some medications for behavior and mood can cause really vivid or scary dreams hmm. or they can like shift your sleep cycle so that that can be a deterrent for some people they're like i sleep solid but i'm having horrible dreams the whole Whoa. time and that's not good right so if you notice like a change in your sleep or you're dreaming and it's it's causing you distress Talk with your doctor about maybe changing what time you take the med because I've seen them switch from morning to night or from night to morning or whatever. But you want to make sure that you know your doctor's on board with whatever time you are taking it. But that is a very common thing that I've heard people complain about. And so if it happens to you, you know, ask your doctor uh, because it doesn't mean it's not working. It just is. That's a side effect.
1: Now with these side effects, should you ask your doctor when you just have something minor? Like if you're getting, a, and it depends. I guess it's all relative. But I was going to say if you're getting a headache every day. Do they need to know that? The scary dream thing seems important. Obviously, self-harm, suicidal thoughts. Those seem very much important to ask your doctor. Mm -hmm. But where's the cutoff to where the doctor's going to be like, leave me alone. I have other patients.
0: So I would say if you're right away, kind of talk to the doctor right away. If you're having new or worsening suicidal thoughts, um, acts of aggression, violence, anything that's out of character and doesn't normally happen in terms of safety. Right away, um, if you've been, you know, experiencing the same mild or annoying side effect for two weeks and it hasn't changed, let the doctor know. Like a headache, right. nausea, even some, you know, vomiting or GI distress. That they're gonna say, hey, that might happen for a couple of weeks. Um, you don't necessarily have to report that. Um, but if there's any, you know, side effects that interfere with your ability to function, you can't safely drive, you can't stand up straight, you're like dizzy to the point of passing out. Like those are more emergent. Yeah medical conditions and, and, you know, potential risky side effects. And so definitely talk to your doctor about that kind of thing, but anything that's like mildly annoying and it's just, you know, it's probably temporary and you probably don't need to report it right away. But I, I go back to my advice of just tracking things, just keep a notebook. And anytime you notice something, you're not sure, write it down and then you'll see a trend over time. And then if it really bothers you, call your doctor. And most physicians today have easy access. Like you can send them a message through like an app. So it's fairly easy to let them know and find out if you should do anything or
1: not. Well, some great information as always. And we appreciate you listening and uh, sharing this podcast. Our whole goal in starting the podcast was to start that conversation and that conversation continues with you.